You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. All right, Sonny. So we got an interesting episode tonight. We're going to spend a little bit of time with Christian Swain, who runs the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project podcast. Uh, which is an interesting thing. It's sort of a book on tape, almost kind of a biography of rock and roll, really starting at the beginning and running through all different eras of rock and roll. So it's not strictly hard rock or metal or anything like that. That's just a very small portion of what he does. So it's sort of interesting, but we'll get into all that with Christian when we get him on the line here fairly soon. But before we get into all that... Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right. So just like the lovely and talented Samantha said, uh, everybody's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. But we also want you guys to help us out to get this Rock and Pod 2 Expo funded. We need your help and we're offering up a lot of perks. Sonny, tell these folks where they can go just to get to all the different perks that all the different podcasts offer. The best way to do that is www.nashvillerockn, that's the letter N, podexpo.com. And it'll actually pop up right on the perks update. You can either search that in Google or go straight to it. But the podcasts have a ton of perks. Yeah, tons of them. And there's all kinds of cool stuff. You can come on uh, various podcast shows, do your own episodes. We're auctioning off some really cool things. You can just go there and take a look. But it's anywhere from, you know, five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever you feel like giving. Every little bit helps. We in the podcast community say, look, if every one of the listeners simply donated a buck, we would have this thing funded in no time because there's tons of listeners out there. And we offer you guys up these podcasts at absolutely no cost to you. It does cost us money to put them together and put them out. But we do it completely for the love of rock and roll. That's what we're in it for. We love doing this. We love playing music and we love talking about it. So help us out. Donate to the Rock and Pod 2 Expo 2018. Sonny, you want to talk about some folks that have been helping us out? Yeah, so let's talk about Grown Ups of the Week. So the Grown Ups of the Week, these are the people who shared us on Facebook or retweeted us on Twitter. They were Alan Tate, David Cathy, Talking Metal, Steve Wright, Classic Rock Drops Podcast, Eladio, Tom Dust, EMZT Radio Podcast, Jason Kearney, who did a show with us, which was great. Save Rock and Metal, our buddy Mark Striegel, Bill Algy, Kristen Kivo, Janet Eck, Jay Sabluski, Nighthawk, Courtney Cronin Dold, a great comedian and a friend of ours, Bella Lowe's 1966, Lobo Black Wolf, our buddies at Podcast Rock City, Mark Winder 8, Ogata, Shuana Lee, and from the Loverboy episode, we had the Loverboy Facebook page share us. And then we had Paul Dean Music 
Facebook page share us. So a really great week. We had some uh, really cool shares. And a lot of these people have been with us for a long time now. We really, really appreciate the fans sticking with us. So appreciate it. Yeah. So if you want to help out the podcast, there are many, many different ways to do it. But really, it starts with this one, which is just going and sharing our episodes and retweeting our episodes. Every week we put them out there on our Facebook page. And all you have to do is share them with your friends that like rock and roll. And hopefully somebody enjoys them. That's where it all starts. And then from there, you can go and you can donate on our growinguprock.com webpage, or you can go do your shopping through our Amazon link. That's what we appreciate. That's what we ask for. And we hope that you're enjoying our podcast. Every week, we kind of try to do a little bit different type of episode. We've done several interviews and we've got several other interviews coming out with these various uh, killer rock stars. But We have these like today where we're just going to talk to somebody who's an interesting person in music and find out what they're doing and find out about their grown up rock story, where they kind of got into rock and roll and what it means to them. And so hopefully you'll enjoy it. I don't want to spend any more time wasting. Let's get into this. Sonny, are you ready to go with this? Yeah, let's go with it because Rock and Roll Archaeology Project Podcast. That's a mouthful, and I can't even spell archaeology. Let's get on with it. (laughs) The Indiana Jones of rock and roll. All right, cool. Let's get into this conversation with Christian. Christian Swain, welcome to the podcast. How you doing, my friend? Uh, Steven, Sonny, doing great. How about yourselves? We are doing awesome. So like I told the listeners up front, Christian uh, has a podcast called the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Is that right, Christian? Well, we did shorten it recently to just rock and roll archaeology. Much easier to remember. Uh, We already have the English spelling for archaeology, the uh, A-R-C-H-A-E-O the proper spelling. And uh, so having the and project, we discovered, hey, we move those two and uh, we get more hits. So it was really just a simple marketing question. But uh, yeah, you can call it whatever you want. Yeah, Sonny and I both said we don't even uh, know how to spell archaeology. So uh, (laughs) we have no clue. Well, yeah, I guess I guess if I made the name easier, we'd probably be three times bigger. But you know, hey, got to go with what you know. What we're you just want. we're just gonna refer to you as the Indiana Jones of rock and roll. Is that cool? That's really cool. I, I'm I'm down with it. Hold on, let me grab my fedora. Okay, we're good. <laughs> Trademark Stephen Michael. <laughs> you uh, do I get the bullwhip too? <laughs> if you want, it's yeah, up to fuck you. Yeah, I want the bullwhip. Right. Yeah. Take that son of a bitch and whip it up. <laughs> I might do it in private, but yeah, sure. All right. That's between you and the whip. <laughs> and whoever else is in the room. <laughs> exactly. So, Christian, we'll talk more about your podcast coming up, but we want to get into kind of uh, your early years. We want to find out with all our uh, folks that come on the show their earliest memories of rock and roll. So, for you, when and, and how did that start uh, your love affair with music? Oh, geez. Uh, If I wanted to be funny, I'd say as a fetus when I kicked my mom uh, for listening to too much uh, Engelberg Humperdinck. But no, really, I had older uh, siblings and I also had an aunt that was really cool. So I kind of was always around music. My parents themselves, eh, not so much. I'm serious about my mom being a big Engelberg Humperdinck fan. 
But my dad, on the other hand, was from Texas, and so he brought a lot of country into the house. And I guess if we had something around playing that I kind of liked, it was uh, some of the the country uh, music from the 50s and 60s. And then um, when my parents divorced, I think that's probably when I really began to fall in love with music. It became my friend. And uh, my aunt uh, gave me a hand-me-down uh, uh, record player, a, a real stereo with you know two separate speakers and all that. And uh, I started building a record collection, and that was it. Uh, started jumping around on the bed with a hairbrush in my hand, and you know started singing all the songs, and just kept on buying more uh, records, trading with friends, and. That was the whole deal. Do you remember what some of those uh, earliest, did it start with rock and roll or was it some other type of thing? No, there, it, there was always, it was always rock and roll for me. I got some hand-me-downs. I guess if there's a 45 that I remember playing to death, it was uh, America's Horse With No Name. And I, I had some others. I, I'm sure I had American Band. I remember that being a favorite of mine when I was younger. And then I also had the Beatles' greatest hits, the Blue and Red album, the um, to 63 to 66, and then uh, 67 to 70, those two albums. And so I think, I think uh, with a lot of people, you know, it, it all starts with the Beatles. For sure. When did you start? Because you became a musician at some point. So what instrument do you play and when did your... When did you start digging into that? So I'm a singer by trade. So I play guitar, mostly acoustic and uh, rhythm. I'm left-handed and I play right-handed. I, I didn't want to be a great guitar player anyway. I wanted to be a great singer. I wanted to be the front man. I wanted the spotlight on me. If yeah, you will. all singers say they never wanted to play guitar in the first place. You know why That's that because is? because we sucked at it. Because we sucked at it, of course. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to, to this, tell the truth. This is lies. This is exactly why there's always that dual ego in a band of a guitar <laughs> god and a lead singer <laughs> <laughs> right but uh you know hey i could write words and uh i uh, was always a i was always a voracious reader so uh you know that was a that always fell to me to do that but i started getting records of my own and uh a couple of the first ones that i would uh, consider really my own which started to make me think about maybe playing music was yes is uh, close to the edge and Deep Purple's Made in Japan. And as, as a hard rock uh, type of music, those guys spoke to me much more than Black Sabbath did. Uh, I'd heard Black Sabbath and, uh, and was like, eh, yeah, it's okay. But Deep Purple really made a, a big difference to me. But back to your question. So <clears throat> it wasn't until I went to, I went to five high schools. So when you have that uh, experience, the social aspect <laughs> really becomes important. And you have to, you know, reintroduce yourself every few months or years. Uh, my parents moved around a fair amount when I was in high school. And uh, I think on the third one, I walked in one day, you know, the first day of school and some kid came up to me and, you know, by then I had long hair and, you know, looked a little bit like a head. And I says, uh, hey, you're the new kid. Um, what is it you do? <laughs> and I just said, I'm a singer in a band. And I'd never done it before. I just said it. And he says, oh, hey, I know a band that's looking for a singer. And literally that afternoon, I was auditioning for some other kids in high school that ended up forming my first band. Cool. Now, a lot of people, um, well, not a lot of people, but a lot of musicians say it was the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Or if you hear singers about what singers did you emulate, you'll hear 
things like Nat King Cole or Steve Perry or some of the Sam Cooke or some of those guys. For you, it was David Bowie and Ziggy Stardust. Was it more he was the front man a little weird or was it more the vocal? Ah, <laughs> oh, you've done some research on me, I see. I'm the research guy here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is definitely David Bowie. Uh, and what it was is, uh, again, uh, a bit of a reader. And, of course, sci-fi being uh, my favorite types of books, certainly back then. One night in, uh, what, 1973, I think it was, you know, I was able to stay up late to see uh, Don Kirshner's rock concert. And on comes a space alien, a singing space alien. And I said, that's what I want to be right there. I mean, that was a very visceral moment. I'll remember that till the day I die, that that was, I mean, you know, my life literally changed in that moment. So that's what it was. It was the combination of this out of this world sort of character in a rock band. Uh, those two things put together was all it took. Very cool. Now, when does Led Zeppelin and... Deep Purple, enter your life. Okay, so Led Zeppelin has kind of always been there. I, again, because I had older uh, siblings and aunts and stuff that uh, my mom's the oldest. Uh, I'm also the the second oldest. But my mom had a, 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 a sister who was born, you know, much younger than her. So she was kind of like the babysitter. I remember her and a girlfriend sitting for us and her literally taking the shrink wrap off of Led Zeppelin 2 and playing that uh, for the first time. And so, you know, a whole lot of love. Just wow. But, you know, Led Zeppelin was like the older kids band or something like that. I, I, I don't know what it was. Uh, and, and, and nothing against them. I, I love Led Zeppelin. I think they're, you know, geniuses. And, you know, I, I learned that you know, pretty early. And when I first started singing, Led Zeppelin was some of the, the uh, material that we, we picked. Uh, but it was Deep Purple that really spoke to me more than, than Zeppelin. I, I think because they were harder, you know, they still had, I loved John Lord and the keys, you know, going through a Marshall stack and getting that sound. And of course, Richie Blackmore is a great guitar player, Ian Pace uh, on drums uh, and Ian Gillen singing. So, you know, that band was like the first, you know, I remember going to the record store and seeing Made in Japan and going, I want this and taking it home and knowing I made a really fucking great decision that day. <laughs> and, the, and the first song when you put the needle down on that thing. Highway starred about 170 beats per minute.
So there's a lot of uh, lot of cover versions of Highway Star. A lot of good ones. Oh yeah, uh, it's probably one of my favorite Deep Purple songs. But that main Japan record, like, does there have to be 19 minute songs on it? Like the jam <laughs> band thing, just kind of gets old for me. Oh no, no, no! So I mean, hey, look, I, I I love all kinds of music, and so there was a time in the '90s, like I I had a infatuation with the Grateful Dead uh, back in the in the eighties and that got me to really love jam bands uh, and then fish in the nineties and, and then from there a million other ones. So I, I, I've, I've had my period of that. So this is where you actually dropped acid then when you started liking <laughs> these bands, I'm guessing. <laughs> but extracurricular uh, activities uh, almost always go. It's to me, it's I, even today, it's a little vacation well, you know, about <laughs> once a year, go have a nice little vacation, a internal vacation but so having purple play you know these 20 minute songs it wasn't a problem for me listen i like all kinds of music but i think my attention span um i probably have add who knows i've always said musical add is consistent with uh society today but uh the records that i find that i enjoy the most are songs with these two and a half three and a half minute songs and I miss the bands that would put out these records back in the day and it was 38 minutes uh, and done or 35 minutes and done. Some of the best Van Halen records are quick and to the point. You know, I like some epic songs. It's not that I don't like epic songs. You know, I love bands like Rush. Sonny doesn't like Rush. I like Rush. And I can deal with some of those and I respect bands like, you know, the Grateful Dead and Fish and all that stuff, but it's not my thing. I just can't, I'm with Sonny. I just can't focus on these 15, 16 minute songs. I mean, even, even bands that I love like Iron Maiden, when they do these 15 minute epic songs, I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, what's the next song? (laughs) Can we change please? Um, well, you know, there are drugs for that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's my ADD is once music comes on, my entire focus goes to that. And it is. I, I, I don't work with music. I don't write with music because it, I will go to that and I can't do anything else. Cannot multitask when music's on. Huh. Other than I can sing and play guitar at the same time. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good. good. That's a good trait. <laughs> so now, now, we were talking about Van Halen know that you don't like the hair bands so maybe you classify agar as a hair band who knows Mm -hmm. but uh tell us about van halen and do you appreciate at least van hagar now wait a minute okay so now van halen i don't consider a a hair band and now i'm a kid grew up in la and uh you know i've 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 even had a run-in with uh with van halen i got to call david lee roth a dick once uh at a a rainbow concert uh because he you know he and the entourage kind of pushed their way through me and i just said uh hey it's david lee dick and then eddie came strolling by and laughed his ass off uh with valerie by the way but Hey, 1978, when uh, when Van Halen 1 came out, there is before Van Halen and after Van Halen. Uh, that album really changed music. You know, Eddie is a granted he's a great technical guitar player, classically trained, but it's the sound 
It just sounded like nothing you've ever heard before. And sometimes that's hard for people to understand if they don't live a, a moment, uh, because the further you get away from that, that moment and how revolutionary it might be, it, uh, it becomes normalized. And it's hard for people to go back and go, wow, that really did sound completely and utterly different. So uh, a big fan uh, of Van Halen. But uh, Van Hagar, look, even though I did call David Lee uh, a dick, I preferred the David Lee Roth version of Van Halen more so than the uh, Red Rocker version of Van Halen. Although I respected them. They were, it was good songwriting. But to me, it seemed a little too commercial for my tastes. Uh, I never did see um, the uh, the Sammy Hagar led uh, Van Halen, but I did see um, the David Lee Roth Van Halen uh, several times, including the reunion when they they did a couple of years ago. So you talked about Van Halen being so different. So I'll I'll take that conversation one step further, which is, yeah, Eddie was doing things that nobody had seen when he came out on guitar, but Van Halen as a band uh, was doing things that hadn't been seen really separately and you know a lot of people say that pretty much around 78 79 rock and roll was kind of getting stale at that point yes uh, it be- was you know because you had bands bands that were great five years earlier kiss aerosmith these bands kiss was hitting uh the dynasty period around 79 i think right sonny that is correct. So Kiss was hitting Dynasty, which was on the downslide, right, from from their previous selves. Aerosmith, I think, was probably had to be somewhere around Night in the Ruts, around 79, I'm guessing, uh, which would have also been on their well, downslide. Well, then Joe, Perry, Joe Perry's not in the band then. Exactly. He's Well, he's leaving at that point, but I, that had yeah. to be 79. I don't have it in front yeah. of me, but I'm guessing that... Yeah. Yeah, you know that's the that's what's called the the uh, the corporate rock era. Uh, you know, I mean, there there was some great rock and roll in the over on the punk side of things, and even some of the new wave stuff was kind of interesting. But you know, yeah, for for straight ahead hard rock, uh, some of the bands you're talking about right there, yeah, they pretty much run their course. Or you were getting, you know, really the ballady type of stuff that you would get with Journey and things like that. Um, so to have a band like uh, Van Halen just show up was you know rocked everybody's world no doubt so tell us about your first encounter with uh van halen music so 78 is the the year that i start playing music that's the year that i meet these guys that uh uh with my third high school and you know just playing the radio one day and uh you know as as you just mentioned the same old songs were were kind of you know, on the playlist, you know, sitting in the background. And then um, the DJ comes on. He says, hey, I want to play this record from this band from L.A. And here we go. And he started with Eruption. You know, you're like, what the fuck is that? And then went into You Really Got Me. And, you know, it was, it's like five minutes uh, total where you're like, Oh my God, that, that is just absolutely insanity. And I think I went out and bought that album the, the next day.
There's no bad songs on that album. I know I give David Lee Roth a hard time sometimes. I've even said he's I my did in person, so I know what you yeah. mean. Well, yeah, but I've said he's my fourth favorite singer in Van Halen, and that's probably <laughs> mean. And, that uh, is mean. Case, and just in case you're wondering, is Sammy Hagar, Gary Sharone, Eddie Van Halen, and then David Lee Roth. <laughs> but, um, but all kidding aside, if David doesn't leave and there's no Van Hagar, I would have still loved Van Halen just as much as I love him today. It would have been no different. What I liked about Van Halen, and, and you know what? There's another band that, that uh, I'll, I'll throw in here as well that kind of falls into this mold, and that is ACDC, and especially the Bon Scott era of ACDC. And I think David maybe picked up on some of that act of the cheekiness of it, the insincerity, the irony, the fun of it. There was no seriousness in this. It was, let's have a fucking party and have a good time. Well, yeah. I think David got a lot of that from Vaudeville. I think David got a lot of it from Jim Dandy. Uh, I think David combined a lot of things. But uh, when you read that book about Van Halen in the early years, I mean, Dave was pulling from a lot of different places that you wouldn't really necessarily think. And they weren't, you know, they were as far from rock and roll as possible. I mean, it was like R&B yeah. and vaudeville and all these places. And uh, just, you know. That's that, entertainment, man. That's, that's entertainment. it, man. That combined with his personality and his outgoing, you know, craziness. I mean, it made for a, for a volatile situation and, and uh, he exploded well, certainly, it. Yeah, certainly against Eddie, who, you know, right. was all about, you know, the music, the tonality, the, the, the symphonic nature of, uh, of that, which, uh, you know, those two things clash and they still clash, uh, in, in some ways, but, you know, I argue with musicians about this all the time that, uh, Hey, never forget that a number one, you're on a stage, which means you're in entertainment and it's all about those people out there. No yeah. doubt. And I, and I agree that every 
band that has a Gene Simmons needs an Ace Frehley. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta <laughs> have, you gotta right. have both sides. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, good balance and uh, a little bit uh, for anybody out in the audience to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. So you grew up in L.A. You probably got to see a lot of cool things in that time period growing up in L.A. in those years because I think you and I we talked were similar ages. So you you were around at some pretty key points in rock and roll as far as I'm concerned. So, well, that's, uh, that's where my love hate relationship with the hair bands come from. Yeah. And far more hate than love. So tell us about some of those. I got to play, I should say, first of all, uh, you know, all the great places headlined the whiskey many times, uh, the Roxy, Madame Wong's, uh, Gazzari's and, uh, but you know, we band I was in, which was kind of like a singular act over a 10 year period, even though we broke up a few times, anywhere from a week to at one time we did break up for like two years in our mid 20s. Uh, but we, we always got back together. But we were always trying to do something a little bit different. And we were surrounded by all of these posers that just looked like models wearing their girlfriend's makeup. And so most of them, and that's probably true of any music scene, most of them, you know, are really worthless. And a few come out of it. You know, I begrudgingly will give Motley Crue some some kudos uh, for a couple of songs. Uh, I definitely say uh, Kickstart My Heart and uh, and home sweet home great songs and and i don't know you know maybe it goes back to my bowie years the i know quite a bit about the glam period in london and uh it was a very sincere thing and what i saw in la was anything but <laughs> but but let me ask you this let me ask sure, you this. sure because you're not the first person i've heard this kind of thing from and and i believe all opinions are that's the beautiful thing about music everybody has a side oh, yes. to them and what they like and don't like but for me who's to decide like what's what's good and what's bad if it's entertaining to somebody like there can be a thousand acdc bands and there are a thousand bands that sound like acdc but for me i'm i guess maybe i'm not that hard to please like if it's a good song and it gets my feet a tapping and my head a banging then I'm I'm in, even though it may sound as long as it doesn't sound like the only the only place that I draw the line is when a song sounds exactly like another song, meaning melody, everything. I'm like, okay, well, that's a little bit much. But you know, all these bands, yeah, they they all wore makeup, they all had long hair, they all wore spandex, whatever the situation is, but to me, it didn't lessen their music. Like I still liked a lot of those bands. There are some bands that I didn't like, but I still liked a lot of those bands. So for me, it's still there. They were still valid, you know. And there were a lot of bands, Metallica's and the Jane's Addictions and the bands that were maybe doing something different at the time. But as much as is some of the hair bands. I wouldn't consider either of those hair bands. No, no. And, and that's what I'm saying. They were, they were doing something different. The Jane's Addictions yeah. and Metallica's were doing something different. And they were putting their noses up at the uh, hair bands as much as the hair bands kind of put their noses up at those <laughs> people. So it was back and forth. For me, and Sonny, I think Sonny's going to agree with this, but for me... 
I liked it all. Like, I didn't have to choose one side or the other. I like Jane's addiction. I like Nirvana. But I also like, you know, Motley Crue. And I also liked Poison. And I also liked Kiss. And I also liked Van Halen. So, so I didn't, I never felt like I had to choose. So why for you did you feel kind of that animosity towards the hair band kind of scene uh, back in those days. First, fully, I'll, I'll admit that, you know, uh, some of it's just uh, jealousy. I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, they, they got all the girls uh, <laughs> uh, to start with. Oh, and not saying that we didn't have our own, but, you know. It was but at a least that's sort. honest. It was a different thing. But more than anything else, if, if, you know, from an, from a, an analysis uh, take, uh, MTV, you know, was, uh, was kind of a new thing. Um, and I do remember going down into, uh, into Hollywood in the late seventies, too young to kind of play, uh, or, or not quite ready for it, I should say. Um, but could hang out and, and see, you know, some, some grit and some, some good songwriting. Whereas when I felt that, I, that what happened in the mid eighties was, this lack of songwriting skill, it was just, you know, everything just sounded the same and they were all doing the same moves and they all looked exactly the same. It was very robotic and lyrically it was um, very shallow. Oh, completely. Um, uh, but that's this is this is exactly what I missed about rock and roll. This is why it was such a beautiful time for people like myself, because guess what? I worked 12 freaking hours a day, five to six days a week. When I went out for the weekend, I didn't want to hear about anybody's bullshit. I wanted to hear about getting laid and doing drugs. I love like that the Lover shit. Boy song. Like every song. <laughs> like there's a million different songs. Yeah. And, and I uh, don't it for shit. the weekend, right. No, and, and I hear you. I, I, I get you. Uh, again, I was in this community living it week after week after week. So it wasn't it wasn't a unique thing for me. And second, I'm probably not really talking about those that actually made it somewhere and got on the charts and and had hits you know i'm talking about right. the thousands of bands and I, I literally hundreds of bands that i had to share bills with the uh, sea hags you know <laughs> yeah there you, there go. you go the sea hags that's that, that's a good way to put it uh so you know uh you know and and and, and maybe i you know i i'm too close to the forest to see the trees yeah no but i i get part of what you're saying like you know what what Stephen was saying earlier, I didn't like it all. I, I love that era, and there's a lot of bands when it comes to the Rats and the Stripers and the Poisons that I really, really like, Warrant and all those guys. And when it changed to the 90s, I wasn't in love with Nirvana, but I did like STP, and I didn't like Jane's Addiction, but I did like Alice in Chains. You know? So I kind of chose some, but not others. But then... I got to be honest with you, Christian. I draw the line at places too, like, goddamn, Pretty Boy Floyd. Like, come on, dude, really? <laughs> you know. So there was places where I started drawing lines of folks yeah. that I would not listen to anymore. Yeah, yeah. and and, ag yeah. and agreed because it was with some of that, especially. I'm going to say that 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 you just named, uh, Sonny. With some of that, there was absolutely. It was completely shallow. There was no content. There was no well-written songs. There was none of that stuff. 
But the problem is, is that I think everybody lumped everybody into one thing. And to me, that wasn't correct. So two bands that look alike and caught a bunch of shit, Warrant and Poison. I like both of those bands. And I got to be honest, both of those bands wrote some damn good songs. Some of the melodies in both of those bands' songs are really freaking good. So I love that shit, but they got lumped in the same category with a pretty boy Floyd that was absolutely shit. Like I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board with that. So I get the distinction, but the problem is that everybody was all too willing to lump them all into one place. And I didn't think that that was fair. Uh, yeah, I see your point. And uh, by the way, I did knock Janie Lane down on Sunset Strip one day. Tell us uh, about that. I was going to say, I was going <laughs> to, I was going to embellish the story that why did you punt Janie Lane? Janie I, Lane doesn't deserve to get punched. T- tell I us that punch, story. I did not punch him. This was, it was all a big misunderstanding. Uh, I was in the rainbow room and uh, drinking uh, and maybe a little too much. And um, I left in a hurry because I had to go meet somebody, a girl. Uh, and uh, well, well, Maybe it was drugs. One of the two. Uh, And so I jammed out and it was packed and there was a bunch of people trying to get in. And I jammed out and uh, he was with two girls and I just like plowed into him and he literally just went down. And I'm like, oh, hey, uh, Janie, sorry about that. And I took off and I had to go. (laughs) Was, Was this after he was somebody or before? Oh no, no, he oh no, this was after Cherry Pie. Oh, okay, after Cherry Pie. So oh, just, yeah. just for people that that have never been to LA back in the day or don't have a good picture, let's paint sort of a visual picture of the Sunset Strip in LA around this time that Christian is describing. So the Rainbow Room, the Rainbow Bar and Grill is an infamous hangout. Many, many people hung out. It's right there on the Sunset Strip. It's still there today. Just to the right of that, if you're looking at it, there's the parking lot, but just to the right of that, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Christian, at any point, but it was the Roxy that was right next to that on the right, right? Yeah, if you're from the street view, if you're looking at it, uh, yeah, the Rainbow Room, yeah. and then it kind of shares a parking lot yep. with the, uh, the uh, Roxy. Right. It was the Roxy, and then uh, Gazzari's, I want to say, was a, a door or two down. Uh, oh, yeah, it was a couple doors down yep. on the, on the yeah, past the Rainbow, if you're going west. Yep. And that's like almost to um, uh, to uh, to Beverly Hills. Because Beverly Hills, it's, this is it, near the end of where WeHo, West Hollywood, and, uh, and, um, and Beverly Hills meet. Right, and so there were all these clubs kind of strung together right there on the walkway. Yeah. The whiskey and the whiskey go-go. was down yep. uh, about two blocks on the corner uh, again, there. East. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. on the corner yep. there, and so all these places were there. And I mean, literally, it was mostly on the weekends, but it was packed, and it was packed with all these hot chicks and all these all yep. these rock rocker looking guys yeah. yeah oh yeah i uh, mean it was great it was great i didn't live there but i i spent a little bit of time there in the day and and uh yeah i mean it was a good time <laughs> yeah usually uh easily from thursday till sunday yeah. uh it was uh it was pretty packed you know monday tuesday wednesday were were so so but you know we'd go down all the time we had to go down we had to put flyers up and uh you know get people to come to the show sure. and pass out stuff and 
So, you know, almost every weekend we would uh, go and hang out down there. That's right. Tell us about the fact that you got to see Ozzy with Randy. I would love to see a, a documentary on Eddie and Randy and their time on the strip because they, they were kind of like, you know, the black knight and the white knight competing against each other uh, at, a, at a very unique time here, right before this whole thing blew up. Of course, uh, as soon as you hear that, we're like, hell, we're going to that show. So I got to see uh, uh, Randy play with Ozzy twice um, before the, uh, the the plane accident. And then I did get to see Jake E. Lee play um, uh, uh, as his replacement because I think we already had tickets for the show uh, when uh, when Randy died. Yeah, most definitely. Cool. Sonny, what's going on? You there, buddy? Yeah, yeah. So since we're talking about Blizzard of Oz, I think we were going to play a song from it. So let's uh, take a shot with one of my not favorites, but I lost the vote. <laughs> no bone movies. <laughs>
Yep, that's right. I pick no bone movies because I like it. It's fun, and you just don't get to hear it that much. So, yeah, to, that was I. I love that whole album. Uh, God, we played the hell out of that album. It is great. And so, to to Sonny's dismay, I I threw that in there. <laughs> uh, now I now I always ask like some ballad or some shit on a future episode. Oh, oh, oh are you the, are you the ballad guy, son? Oh, I am the ballad guy. Oh, really? Oh, I love the ballads. Sorry, yeah, listeners. I really do. <laughs> and that's that's one of the reasons that I couldn't really get into uh, that next music scene, which you know. A lot of people say Nirvana. I think oh, the thrash music, right? Yeah, it would thrash or alternative or mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but you know, a lot of people think that kind of Nirvana killed uh, whatever was going on or grunge or whatever. I think Jane's addiction, Jane's addiction, kind of started going that way already before that. Soundgarden uh, was already there. Well, uh, so there, there was always kind of like this, this, this secondary types of bands of which Jane's Addiction came out of Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, as well uh, out of L.A. Uh, But while they had success, it didn't really do much to uh, to the L.A. glam scene. If it wasn't really until it was really more than anybody else, it was GNR Guns N' Roses that came out first that caused everybody to go, uh oh. This may be uh, a bit of a change. And Metallica was still kind of underground. It's not until the Black Album that they really, you know, become giant. Uh, And that's not till 91, I think. Is that right? Uh, Yes. Yeah. And so, um, you know, look, uh, by that time, the scene had, you know, run its course and it needed to be rotor rooted out any way you look at it, no matter what was being done there. And, um, you know, yeah, when, when, uh, nevermind the, the Nirvana album, uh, dropped, um, that, that pretty much changed everything overnight. I mean, literally you could see the spandex go away and the plaid come out. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned red hot chili peppers and Jane's addiction. I like the, the funk bass and the, the little groove that both uh, the both bands have, but for some yeah. reason, I'm a lot more into Red Hot Chili Peppers than I am Jane's Addiction, and maybe it's because of the vocal abilities of the two singers. Well, uh, I uh, that's the kind of stuff that my band Infrared was was kind of emulating. Uh, uh, we we liked both of those uh, both of those bands, and but with Jane's, you know, that was more of a straight ahead rock feel. With the Chili Peppers, they definitely had the George Clinton funk going on. Gosh, I, I mean, I got to see both of those bands in small clubs was when they were coming up. I love them both. There's I could listen to both of them all day long. So you obviously you're a huge music fan. You've dug into this. Tell us how you kind of start heading down this path of podcasting and specifically your show, uh, because I've tried to kind of describe your show to the listeners before and have talked a little bit about it. And I've even told you, I thought that it kind of, it reminds me of kind of a mixture of a TV show or a movie, so a book on tape, essentially, because you're painting a picture over audio, right? So you're painting a picture yeah. over audio, so it almost comes off like a book on tape or something like if I was listening to like a A&E biography type show, 
on audio or something like that, you, you really paint kind of a vivid picture of rock and roll and not just one period or two periods, but you're covering this whole thing. So take us on that start of that journey. You bet. You know, my music career, if you will, which, you know, was really the attempt to, you know, get a record contract and all that, that ended when I turned 30. Uh, I always had a day job and um, starting in my mid-20s, started to gain a career, whether I really knew it or not, in technology, which was, you know, a a new thing, uh, uh, computers and and, uh, uh, networks and things like that. And so I started picking up on that. And uh, by the time I turned 30, I realized that, you know, the rock and roll thing was going to work for me as a profession. So I started taking my day job seriously. But I, I then switched after a couple of years break. I then switched over to playing in cover bands, uh, which I'd never done uh, except that first 16 year old, you know, when I was 16 band. That was the only time we ever I ever did covers. After that, it was all originals, and um, so I went back and started playing cover bands, and uh, and that's probably where things begin because I I start going in back catalog and looking for songs that you know uh, meant more to history than just me that I thought would make good songs for an audience to dance and and groove to um, because that was the job. The job was not to present new material that might get us signed. The job was to engage an audience for an evening. And I think what I never had done was kind of really go back in time and, you know, get this whole, you know, how, how did this thing come about? How does it, uh, how does it all fit together? And as I gain more and more knowledge and reading a, a lot of uh, uh, rock and roll biographies and uh, and historical books, uh, people like uh, Peter Goralnik, that it started to form that wow, this this is this is a thing. It's an art movement, and it's kind of run its course. You know, I kind of say that by the time we get into the mid '90s, primarily for cultural and and technological reasons, rock and roll has pretty much run its course as an original art form. There's still plenty of great rock and roll out there. Uh, People say, what what do you mean? There's great. Yes, there's still great rock and roll out there, but are they really inventing anything new? Uh, Are they saying things new? Are they presenting it new? Is it a cultural touchstone? Because I think all three of us would agree that, you know, what what was life without rock and roll as we were growing up? It it informed us. Uh, It made a difference in our day. The kids today don't look at music that way. It's other things. It's one of many things that uh, that entertain and educate them. So that's the the point where I started to say, "Wow, there might be something here." And then podcasting came along as um, an art form, as a as a, a vehicle to tell the story. And so uh, I got together with two of my friends that I've known for forty years. Uh, one of which, Richard Evans, who is a writer by trade uh, from the journalism practice. We've been arguing this for forty years. And then uh, uh, our sound designer, Jerry Danielson, who's been, you know, working uh, as an engineer uh, since we were kids. And we said, um, well, hey, look, let's tell the story, the history of rock and roll from the beginning. And, you know, through a what planned 30 episode arc of, you know, how it came to be as if 
we were looking at an ancient civilization and we're stripping the jungle back. And, you know, yeah, people kind of remember, you know, the Egyptians or the Greeks or the Romans. But what is the real story? How, how, how did these people work together and live together? And what, you know, what did they do to, uh, to society? Because I think that this period, the latter half of the 20th century, and the art that most reflected it was this music, this rock and roll music, and it will be remembered in the same way that uh, the Renaissance, the uh, Florentine Renaissance is, or uh, certainly the Impressionists of Paris, uh, as that significant, the further we get away from it. And because it was 2015, I could say 1995, because it's about 20 years before any uh, histor historian can kind of say, okay, here's an epic or here's, a, here's an era, let's put it together and be, begin to tell a full, complete story. So the original podcast, of which we, we started in 2015, and we're 15 episodes in, they take three to six months to make each episode because of all the research and writing and production that's uh, done for each of these. That starts out as, um, I'll, I'll throw another record in that I had as a kid, and uh, and that was Orson Welles' retelling of the H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, which uh, was first played in 1939 and scared the shit out of uh, a bunch of people on the eastern seaboard. That is a audio drama, and so we took that as a, um, as a model to, to look at and built out from there. Yeah, I can, I can totally see that now that you say that. So that's interesting for sure. Yeah, that era of music, it's, uh, you have a great point there. Because even with the kids, my son is uh, almost 18. He loves some of that 80s music, and not just hard rock. He loves some of the pop stuff and uh, that kind of stuff too. But he's only getting just a very, very small percentage of everything that I uh, had the ability to listen to. And although I try to get him to listen to a bunch of things, you know, he's got ADD just like everybody else. So he kind of mm -hmm. sticks to two or three things, loves foreigner, you know, that kind of stuff. So the next generation, his kids will probably just get foreigner and maybe a smaller slice. And sooner or later, this thing's going to be gone. Well, sooner or later, it's going to end up being the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the end, uh, you know, uh, just like all we remember is Mozart, uh, you know, we're you know, from that period, you know, it'll be the Beatles and yeah, there'll be a few others, you know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I think Bob Dylan's going to be remembered certainly with, uh, with his, uh, lyrics and, you know, just getting, uh, the Nobel prize for literature. Uh, you know, there may be a few others that, uh, will be remembered for, for one thing or another, but yeah, I mean, 500 years from now, or if it's really that significant and it, and it's an interesting thing because this is a, a unique American art form. And while it, it went global and, and it still is today, it is a reflection of American society in the latter half of the 20th century. The fact is, is that after World War II, most of the modern world was, you know, uh, 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 affected, if not destroyed, uh, except for the United States and our culture. And our culture dominated. And we also are a very democratic and diverse society, and hence the music reflected that. Uh, and that's, you know, part of what we're, we're trying to say is that this is a, a unique art form for what it is. But it was also a very people's 
art form, maybe more so than any other art form that's existed uh, since or before. It's definitely something to think about for sure. You have a much deeper outlook on it. I like to think that I think about stuff like that. For me, I don't have kids, so uh, I always think about you know the next generation because I see how people are. I see how people are consuming music today and I see what's coming out and I think music as an art form is a beautiful thing but I'm I get I get worried that rock and roll get, is getting lost in in society. Well, it, it it'll never be completely lost, certainly not during our lifetimes. I mean, you know, hey, jazz is still played everywhere. Uh classical uh is as well. Uh it will just you know, fall into something more akin to that. It just, it's not going to rule a charge. It's not going to, it's not going to shape uh, the culture and the culture is not going to shape it. It, you know, uh, the great compositions uh, have been written. They are in stone. It but, would be hard to, re- to, to, to replicate that. But I think that my problem is, is that there, I, I'm discovering bands all the time today that are putting out yeah. new music today that's, great i mean it's great music is it anything new no it's nothing new but you know i mean is there is there an opportunity for anything anybody to do something new that's still called rock and roll and still sounds great i don't know if there is or not i know what i like and what i don't like and there are bands that are putting out music today that I am loving. And, oh, yeah. And I mean, a lot of them, they, they may sound like throwbacks from, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, even 90s. But good music is good music. And I hate. Yeah, I know you guys had uh, had the bass player for Greta Van Fleet on uh, uh-huh. a couple of weeks ago. And uh, yeah, that's a that's a great band, uh, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, um, uh, I, I just I just don't think it's going to, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, songs back in the day really affected the culture and for a variety of reasons, all of which we talk about in our in our podcast. You know, the the, the baby boom was this huge, giant explosion. You know uh, what a teenager was and, and that having an economic power that had never happened before in the history of mankind. The technological uh, media that was, you know, newly available to spread a message like uh, that, uh, the beginning of the sexual revolution, the end of the Victorian age, uh, environmentalism, the political and social changes and things like that. I, you know, I just don't see music having that same amount of power today. And that's what I mean. And I agree with you because I will tell you for my personal, just my personal story is when I was growing up, if there was something that happened in my life, I looked for music to connect me to. Maybe it was happening to somebody else. But today, I can just join a Facebook group or throw it on Twitter or do a Facebook Live and say I'm pissed off at the world. Or, you know, there's two. There's a lot of other ways to release that energy, I guess. And yeah, I used uh, music good. before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and also, you know, all of these songs and not just the songs we're talking about, but every song is available at your fingertips at yeah. any moment of the day. You don't have to choose. You don't have to 
put any thought into it. I mean, you, all three of us, I'm sure, remember going into a record store and going, hmm, I like this one, and I really like that one. Which one do I choose? Got to go with this one. And you had to make a choice. And then you probably defended that choice uh, with your friends. So, you know, kids today don't have to do that. Yeah. There's no value to it. Yeah, no doubt. Well, not to put a bummer at the end of the conversation or anything. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's just. But that's why we're doing what we're doing, right? Isn't that the right. point? Is that we're well, trying to expose to, you know, what there, there, there's a bit of a nostalgia to, to what we do uh, to us and our listeners. But there's also, you know, the ability. I, I, I have uh, people come up to me. I've had, I've had kids come up to me and say, wow, I love your podcast. I think it's the greatest thing. I've learned so much. I've also had parents go, I love your podcast. I been able to to show my son or my daughter this the, the why I love this music so much things like that so you know well, that's yeah. why we do this yeah well I think definitely your podcast lends a hand in that direction uh, more than anything I mean we put our podcast together because we believe in rock and roll it was a good friend to us growing up it's still a good friend to us today we love talking music I mean we're that's the beautiful thing about the podcast community, in my opinion, is pretty much anybody that's doing a music-related podcast is a music fan first. None, yes. of us, none of us are in it for the money, not music podcast. I can tell you that for free. I mean, <laughs> there's a couple it's of... Not, it's not where the, where the money is. Although uh, we, we've had some interesting discussions with some, some people. Uh, uh, but, you know, yeah, I mean, to your point, don't sell yourself short. I mean, uh, every, every piece of, of this is exposing this great music to somebody, I, I guarantee you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we have a narrative. Uh, you know, we're, we're telling a, a broad story. You know, there's a, there's a lot of production and writing involved. And that that's an uh, some intellectual property that could potentially turn into to something. And we are talking to some people about that. But it's so it is a little bit different. But, uh, you know, hey, I also have an interview show that I uh, just talked to, uh, you know, past rockers or uh, I love talking to authors. I just had a uh, a uh, interview with Mick Rock last week that uh, we're going to put out here in a in a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, so it's 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 all it's all a piece of uh, of keeping this this music alive and you guys are doing the same thing yeah and you have so talk a little bit about that because explain to the listeners you have a, a couple of different angles on your podcast right you have the umbrella but then you release these episodes that are kind of underneath that umbrella of the rock and roll archaeology right yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, it was, uh, uh, you know, uh, in, in, you know, invention is, uh, is formed through necessity. Uh, and, uh, you know, like I said, it takes us up to three to six months to, uh, to produce the, uh, the, the narrative, the, the, um, the, the rock and roll archeology span podcast, um, and which was the original plan. And so, we started getting a lot of, uh, you know, uh, dare I say hate mail of like, you know, can't you guys work any faster? <laughs> Cause we want more. Uh, and there's just no way, there's just no way it can be done. So I started thinking, well, what if we make this show or that show? And so, uh, another one of my partners, uh, certainly on the, the business and marketing side, uh, Peter Ferrioli, who's been a co-host with me on a couple of the shows, we started creating other shows. So we did uh, a couple of recaps 
uh, for uh, if you guys remember that HBO um, show that they they gave a shot with uh, Mick Jagger and Martin Scorsese producing called Vinyl. Um, we did a recap show on that, and then uh, uh, Showtime did uh, a Cameron Crowe produced narrative called the uh, roadies uh and neither one of them made it out of the first season but from there we then created uh a a weekly news show we called rock talk and then uh, uh i have a friend who was a 30-year vet at the san francisco public library and we made her the rock and roll librarian and she reads uh rock and roll uh, uh biographies and we sit and break them down uh as a as kind of a review show and uh and then i got a call from uh from a um a PR company and said, Hey, would you like to interview Gary Wright, uh, the dream weaver? And I, but sure, <laughs> why not? And from there I created deeper digs in rock, which became our, uh, uh, our interview show. Uh, and then a fan came to us and said, um, Hey, uh, I got this idea of, uh, reviewing movies of which was kind of on the list, but I, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. I, I couldn't, I couldn't even pick up. I couldn't even think of picking up another show myself. And he said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll host it and, and put it all together. And he did one, sent it in to us and it was awesome. It's, it is, it is definitely, if you like a little bit of comedy and you're, uh, uh, and a, and a very interesting perspective, in uh, in dissecting these rock and roll movies, Andy is your guy, and so we brought him in, and then um, we had uh, an old radio jock uh, named Dave Whitaker, uh, and his partner Dana Barry come to us with a show on vinyl, with the resurgence of vinyl that uh, is called Vinyl Snob. So we started adding these shows, and uh, I've got a new show that's going to launch next month called Art of Rock, that is going to be hosted by John Kosh. And Kosh has, uh, was the graphic designer on over uh, about 2,500 album covers, of which his first album cover was the Beatles' Abbey Road. So he and all of his guys that he worked with on these, uh, on these album covers uh, back when it was a, you know, that was a big deal, uh, sit in the studio and, uh, and talk about how they made uh, things for, um, for the Beatles or Linda Ronstadt, ELO, um, uh, uh, REO Speedwagon. We just, we've, done, we've done three of the shows and we're going we're gonna to launch it next month. That's awesome. Man, dude, how do you find enough time in the day? So, so in the end, what I did was I created a, a network and, um, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're just, um, you know, continuing to try to find good talent to, uh, enhance the offerings of that. What we do right now is, is I have a single feed that I put all the shows into kind of like an audio magazine, you know, pick the articles you want to read or listen to the shows you want to listen to. Uh, and we have fans that, that love uh, one or two or, or maybe three of the shows. And we have some that say, ah, I don't really like that show. Uh, and that's fine. That's, that's, that's all great. It's uh, it's all there. I mean, hell Rolling Stone's not going to exist pretty soon. So maybe we can be that for, for people in the future. Wow. Well, tell our listeners where they can find your uh, your podcast and your show at. Well, we're we're certainly on most of the uh, the podcasting platforms. Um, you know, um, from iTunes to Stitcher to Overcast to iHeartRadio, um, SoundCloud, all that other stuff. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, we have our uh, our main uh, website that people can find us at Rock and 
and so it's rock and roll archaeology. And like I said, it's the A R C H A E O L O G Y dot com. Uh, so it's rock and letter N roll. So, um, uh, and all the show notes, and uh, so, you know, you can dive into uh, some of the research that uh, we make available. We we do put up all of the uh, the books that we use for each of the shows, uh, and uh, you know how to go and contact that, and you know, please buy uh, buy those books. Uh, listen to the songs. So we put playlists up and all kinds of things there at the at the website. Yeah, in uh, uh, social media. Certainly, uh, you can find us on Facebook. It is Rock Ampersand Roll Archaeology uh, gets us to uh, to that on. Um, I, I'm sorry, it's at the RNRAP. That's uh, that's the Facebook side, and then uh, uh, you can find us on Twitter at. R&R Archaeology. Cool. Awesome. Well, we could probably sit here and talk for hours, but to be honest, I just don't have enough space on the hard drive. What? We're not going to do that? I was just going to open a beer. <laughs> Jesus. You're a trooper. No. I appreciate the time. Guys. No. It's, it's, uh, it's been fantastic talking to you. It's been fun, Christian, and, and the, you have a lot of interesting uh, takes on things, and uh, I would love to talk to you again at some point, but we got to wrap this episode up because once I put some music to play, uh, this thing's going to be a long one. So let's end this. And uh, we'll tie all your information uh, in our show notes uh, so that folks can click on the link and go straight to where they uh, can investigate your project a little bit more. Uh, I know from my own personal taste, you know, it's, it's nice to listen to something that's a little bit different once in a while. And I think your show provides that, uh, but still is of interest to me because I like a lot of uh, historical stuff and tying history and rock and roll together is a beautiful thing. So thank you for that. Well, well, yeah. thank, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And let me say that, uh, you know, we're, we're still, we're, we're about at the end of the sixties with the main podcast and we, you know, we're, we're, just we're biting at the uh, at the at the bit to get into the 70s but we will get into the 80s and we will talk about uh the 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 hard rock and metal scenes those are very important to the to the history and the story of uh, of rock and roll so just hold on folks we well, will definitely get there well i i think that speaking uh for myself i'm pretty sure that when you get towards that point and you need a little research uh and information uh feel free to uh hit uh Hollywood or myself up and we can be of benefit in providing information in that era to you. I will definitely take you up on that. <laughs> and Christian, I'll tell you something as we wrap up here, you know, I know some drunk guys in Canada. They're doing a podcast <laughs> called CGCM. I got some crazy friends doing a podcast, Potter than hell ages of rock. There's some guys out there that know what they're doing. Like decibel geek. There's some guys out there that don't have a fucking clue what they're doing like us. <laughs> then there's the smart guys. And that's, to me, the Hustle podcast and you guys are rock and roll archaeology. So you got, like you make my brain hurt sometimes when I listen to you guys. So uh, you guys, the, the research is just incredible. And the professionalism is outstanding. So I think you're doing great work. Well, thank you both. I really appreciate it. And uh, it makes us feel good for all the hard work we do put into it. 
All right. So Christian, what we usually like to do on each of our episodes is we'll do a, um, a shuffle, rattle and roll with a song to play us out. But I think that you kind of uh, you kind of picked a couple of songs um, to play us out. So what's it going to be? Is it going to be a little Nirvana? Is it going to be a little Jane's Addiction? What do you want to take us out? Oh, Nirvana is the easy one. So let's give some love to uh, to Jane's addiction. Mountain song. That's it. All right, sweet. Here's Jane's addiction. Mountain song. We'll talk to you guys all next week. Thanks for supporting the Grown Up Rock podcast. Later. Later, Thanks, guys. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. <laughs> Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.